Welcome to the Cosmic Savannah with Dr. Tiamiso Makuela and Dr. Daniel Kanema. Each episode, we'll be giving you a behind-the-scenes look at world-class astronomy and astrophysics happening under African skies. Let us introduce you to the people involved, the technology we use, the exciting work we do, and the fascinating discoveries we make. Sit back and relax as we take you on a safari through the skies. Welcome to this episode of the Cosmic Savannah. And today we have Alex Anderson, who is from the University of Oxford. And we'll be talking about Bursts from Space, which is the new citizen science project that the South African Radio Astronomy Observatory and the MIACAD are working on in collaboration with Oxford University. Absolutely. So this is a very exciting project for us because citizens are getting involved in real science. This isn't just astronomers. We're not talking uh, necessarily just about professional astronomers and the work they're doing. But this is an opportunity for members of the public and astronomy enthusiasts to get involved in some real research. Yeah, so we're making everyone scientists. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we're getting them to do some free labor for us. I should take that out. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's great. Um, we, I mean, we, 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 it's a great way to communicate. We want to, you know, teach people about what we're doing. Yeah, so the, the Citizen Science Project is using data from Meerkat, as you said, from the South African Radio Astronomy Observatory. And then what they're asking is to get members of the public involved to look for things called transients. Mm. And I think that's so exciting because we come from a world where we are always looking at these things, but we never actually know what they are. And today I think we're bringing a nice word to look at the stars, um, such as saying they are transients. And we're going to look at the different transients that currently exist and that we have and that the meerkat is helping us classify. Um, I think Dan and I would just mention some of them. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about something transient in, in astronomy, it's something that changes. So, you know, we can look at a a star or a planet that doesn't change very much on a day-to-day scale, but some of these really do. So things like supernova are obvious transients. They explode and they brighten and and fade over the matter of a couple of weeks. And then there's some other more, you know, subtle transients. Some stars go through periodic pulsations and variations. There's things like solar flares, which we Mm. can see very easily on our sun. We also have binary stars, which is kind of like a system of two stars going around each other. And I think as they do that, then we get to see the changes in them as they get brighter or fainter with time. Yeah, and then also uh, things on a galactic scale. We have these active galactic nuclei, which are the supermassive black holes at the centers of galaxies. They're devouring, you know, matter and stars and things, and they they send out these jets which can pass us, and those sort of flare up and down. So, So these are another example of transients. And then also fast radio bursts, which mm. are, we've spoken before about on the podcast, which is kind of a kind of uncertain. We're not really sure where they come from, these little bursts out of nowhere in space. <laughs> I think that's really exciting. And I think through this citizen science project, people can be able to help us classify them uh, by logging on to Zooniverse, right, which is a platform which is being used to classify all of these objects using the Meerkat data. So you have the Meerkat data that's on Zooniverse and you get onto Zooniverse and be part of us, <laughs> be part of everyone doing science, but you get onto Zooniverse and there will be images, there'll be light curves that will be there that you're going to study and classify what these things are. 
Yeah, so you get to look at an image, as you said, and then you get to classify it according to some template or, or model that, that the astronomers have provided and see whether whatever you're looking at matches what we're predicting or what we're expecting. And then we can use this to improve our models. Yeah. Um, do you think anyone needs some pre-astronomy knowledge before they can be part of the Citizen Science Project? No, I don't think so. I think that, uh, you know, you can go onto the Zooniverse website. The idea is that these are, are made fairly simple. You'll have to do a little bit of training, try and learn what you're looking for. And then you can kind of go through on a step-by-step basis and identify things. And then all of that data gets fed back to the astronomers and they can use that to sort of train their models, which means that, you know, hopefully in future the, the computers can do it better. But at the moment, this is something which, you know, humans do best. Yeah, I think this is so exciting because at the end of the day, when these results are being published, citizens get to be part of these publications. So I think it's exciting for citizens to look at this and say, I am part of that study or I'm part of this thing. So I think it's a good thing that our listeners and their friends (laughs) um, take part in this. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, the Zooniverse concept came out uh, many years ago now, I think first to classify different types of galaxies. And now there's a bunch of projects on Zooniverse where you can go and do different citizen science projects, you know, not just with Meerkat. But this is part of a growing thing. You know, we're getting more and more of these telescopes. They're churning out data more than we can possibly handle. And we need uh, help to try and get through it. And we need algorithms that can, can sort of sort this data on the fly, especially something like Meerkat, where it's mm-hmm. coming in so fast. And in order to train those models and, and see what exactly we're getting, what we should be looking for, there's nothing better than the human eye. Nothing better than the human eye. I think I, I'm going to take that as the word for the day today. <laughs> well, maybe not Mars, but I mean, <laughs> in, in, in a general sense, I mean, <laughs> yeah. mine are pretty shocking. <laughs> so we should not completely overrule or override the potential that people looking at this data can actually have in the findings that we get. We cannot fully rely, not yet fully rely on AI for now. We still... Yeah, for now. For now. <laughs> Thank you for training the AI. <laughs> We're making yourselves redundant. Yeah. We should get on to Alex before we go any further down this yeah. rabbit hole. Um, yeah, so uh, Tia and I, uh, we're very fortunate to catch up with Alex. He was recently in South Africa. Um, we did we did record over Zoom, but he did a, a lovely training session here in South Africa, um, training people to get involved. And we'll be doing another one in the not-too-distant future. And, yeah, let's hear from Alex, where he'll be able to tell us uh, more about this project. All right, so today we are joined by Alex Anderson from the University of Oxford, who will be talking to us a little bit about the Meerkat Citizen Science Project that he's been involved in and has been running. Alex, uh, welcome to the Cosmic Savannah. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. So you are uh, joining us from Oxford over Zoom at the moment, but you were recently in South Africa, and you were here to do what exactly? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago, I was in Cape Town working with Soreo, and people who work on Meerkat to uh, launch the second data release of the citizen science project I work on to the public. And to do that, we had some learners from Carnarvon High School, which is up in the Northern Cape near where Meerkat, the telescope I use, near where that's based, to do some sort of learning on the kind of amazing things we can find 
with Meerkat. So with Meerkat, right, the project is called Bursts from Space. And maybe you can just tell us, you know, give us a brief introduction about what it is and how it works and how you're engaging students like the students in Carnarvon uh, and others. Yeah, so so Bursts from Space, we named it that as a very sort of literal thing because we're looking for bursts from space with Meerkat. So what we do is we take amazing pictures of the sky with Meerkat, this amazing telescope we have in, in South Africa. And if we take those pictures regularly and we compare one picture to the last, we can play a sort of astronomical spot the difference and see if something is brighter or fainter in later or or earlier images. And by doing that, we can sort of see how the sky is changing and if there's anything in the sky that is appearing or disappearing, changing over time. And so we have a project on a citizen science platform where we can show anyone, anyone in the public, professionals or amateurs, we can show them what data from Meerkat looks like and get them engaged and say, okay, is there something changing here? Is there something disappearing? Is there something transient in the sky? We would say something that's yeah, changing or appearing or disappearing. It's good that you just said transients there because <laughs> the next question we have for you is, so the project focuses on identifying radio transients using the data from Meerkat, as you said that you came here for the Meerkat. So could you explain what they are, what radio transients are and why are they of particular interest, especially in the field of astrophysics? Yeah, so I generally use radio transients as a bit of a catch-all for anything that you know, but goes bump in the night, so to speak, with a radio telescope. Um, so this could be something like a nearby star to us, showing some interesting flaring behaviour. We see sometimes these small stars near the sun that sort of flare, and that's quite interesting um, for astrophysicists who care about what's going on inside stars or what might happen for planets going around those stars. But radio transients can also include things on much greater distant scales, you know, things in other galaxies. It could be distant galaxies that are sort of twinkling and scintillating, we might say, just like the stars do in the night sky. Um, or it could be things in the middle of those distant galaxies, which are suddenly getting a lot more energetic and heating up and, and doing all sorts of interesting things that people who care about large black holes might be interested in or people who care about how galaxies form. So it's a bit of a, a catch-all term calling these things radio transients. It's yeah, anything that changes that we can see with a radio telescope. And that's what we're trying to find, basically. Okay, so I'm quite interested in, in what exactly this looks like and how the, the public can assist. But, but before um, we get to that, I just wanted to ask you how you got involved in it in terms of the Citizen Science Project and, and the University of Oxford. How did this sort of collaboration come about? Yeah, that's a really good point. So, so I started my PhD a few years ago, um, but before that I did my undergrad in Manchester. And Manchester is home to... Jodrell Bank, which is a big and historic radio observatory. So it was sort of inevitable that when I did my undergrad there, that I'd then fall in love with radio astronomy <laughs> and end up coming to Oxford. And then I ended up coming to Oxford because um, the project on offer was, was this one that I'm now doing, which had a real nice mix of the things I enjoyed, using radio telescopes that I already knew I liked. And engaging the public was something I knew I really enjoyed already from doing outreach previously and engaging with, with communities around Manchester. And so it sort of it fit the bill in terms of everything I knew I liked, and it was a bit of a frontier thing. You know, only with the most recent generation of radio telescopes are we able to push for these, you know, large field of view and regular observations to find interesting things changing in the sky. So it sort of felt very novel, and so that excited me a lot. And I applied and, and got involved, and it's been something I've really enjoyed doing. Um, so can you just tell us about maybe a little bit more about your then collaboration with Sereo and Meerkat and then Oxford University? Yeah, so I am uh, work at the University of Oxford um, for my PhD and I uh, 
got started here a couple of years ago. This is where my, my two supervisors and I are based. And my two supervisors work on very similar problems to those that I do. One of them works a lot with radio telescopes and one of them works a lot with citizen scientists. So it makes sense that the project I'm doing falls in between those. Meerkat is, of course, this amazing telescope that we get to use, and it, you know it really does amazing work, and is one of the best telescopes in the world. I mean, I'm, I'm very much biased to, in saying that, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'll say it. Oh, we like it, too. yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, Meerkat provides the amazing sensitivity and you know regular observations that catch large pictures of the sky. Basically, every time we take a picture of the sky with Meerkat at the L-band receiver, which is one of the three sort of frequencies you can look at uh, with Meerkat at the moment. You take a picture of the sky that's about twice the size of the full moon, which might not seem that big by, by eye when you look at the whole sky, but that's pretty large by astronomical terms, and certainly for, for radio telescopes. So that allows us to find these amazing things. So it's, it's very unique capabilities of Meerkat that let us do this amazing science. And then Soreo uh, are able to sort of facilitate the amazing data that comes from, from Meerkat. And more recently, when we have doing this work, in South Africa, working with learners in Carnarvon, for example, they've been able to facilitate that and have the people on the ground and embedded in the communities in Carnarvon and in Cape Town to allow us to do the engagement with those those communities. Thank you so much for mentioning students in Carnarvon because this leads perfectly to this whole thing about citizen scientists and including non-professional astronomers being part of the science that we do. Can you please elaborate maybe on how normal citizens can actually actively participate and contribute through this project through the, the Zoo Universe? Yeah, so the Zoo Universe is a citizen science platform that my supervisor set up several years ago now which its whole aim is to engage anyone who's interested with science. And there's lots and lots of amazing astronomy projects on there where any member of the public or amateur or professional can get involved in basically any kind of science they want. There's lots of astronomy projects, but there's also some ecology and humanities projects as well. And so it's a very open platform and people can get involved just by going to the website, which is just zooniverse.org, and finding a project they think is interesting and, and getting started. So I... Um, launched our project on there originally a couple of years ago now and just use the amazing data we have from Meerkat to to try and get people involved. Specifically with the students in Carnarvon, we wanted to, to launch a sort of second batch of data from the telescope and we thought it'd be great to engage in the communities that are you know located physically near Meerkat but maybe haven't got as much access to the amazing science that it can do and so we thought it'd be nice to show them what kind of amazing things they can do with the telescope that's sort of on their back doorstep so to speak which has been really, really engaging and fulfilling part of the PhD so far. So what exactly do the students and, and members of the, the public do? So, you know, the, the project is looking at images, you're looking at light curves, and you said you, you're you trying to detect these radio transients. But for a member of public who doesn't, you know, have any astronomy training, what do they have to do, you know, if they sign up to Zooniverse? Yeah, yeah. So if they go to the Burst from Space Meerkat page on Zooniverse um, and want to get involved, which would be amazing. We always love when more people take part. What we show you is a light curve and an image of one tiny patch of sky. So the image is, is just when, when our programs and algorithms have found something at that position in the sky. We take a little sort of take a little cutout of that portion of sky in one of our pictures so we can see what we think is there and we also show them what we see as I said a light curve and a light curve is just a graph where we show how the brightness of the thing in that image changes over time between all the images we've taken and so the aim of the game is just to say okay is the light curve that we show you this graph of how the brightness changes 
is that changing clearly over time? Is this thing getting brighter? Is it getting fainter? Was it not there in some images? Was it then then appeared? And that's sort of the main diagnostic tool. And then the, should we show them the image to verify if this thing is actually just a little point, like how when we see stars in the sky, they're just these little points. Sometimes with telescopes, we see these big blobby structures. We see things sticking out of galaxies that are far away, or we see nebulae in our galaxy. And these things are, are sort of extended and resolved large structures. And what's also very interesting that they don't tend to show the radio transient emission or variable behavior that we're looking for, and they can sometimes introduce systematic effects into what we're trying to find. So we want to sort of weed out any of the large resolved things. We're looking for the, the things that are so small in the sky that they're just points. That's really interesting. I think also in the world of AI now, like artificial intelligence and all the machine learning tools, what motivated the decision really to involve humans in classification process instead of really just developing some code to to find these things in, in the nice yeah, sky sure. through that data? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is a really good point, right? There's been a real you know, rise in the people's awareness of things like machine learning so it's, it's often a question we we get asked when when doing this kind of thing and one of the if i stick with with you know enjoying using machine learning for example one of the reasons we, we do this is to use machine learning models you have to train them you have to teach the machines what you're looking for and to teach the machines what you're looking for you need to know what you've already seen and so to train the machine learning, we need to already have some amount of stuff from the telescope, of images, of light curves, of data from Meerkat that citizen scientists have already said, OK, this is definitely a transient, and whereas this one definitely isn't. This one might be a transient, this one might not be. And you build up a large amount of data, and then you can use that to train your machine learning to do more at larger scales, for example. So if you like using machine learning, you can, you can use this as, a sort of, as a, your training bed for doing that. Also, it's, you know, simply it's true that citizen scientists do really well at this and humans are really good at you know, pattern recognition, which getting into machine learning models can be really complicated. Um, so in the spirit of just doing the thing that works, that's fairly simple first, you know, this thing works. We, we, if you don't need to go to complicated million parameter machine learning models and you can engage people in the public and, and produce great scientific results, then, you know, why not? Have you produced great scientific results? Have you I had so. some cool? <laughs> I mean, have you had some cool discoveries? Uh, you know, helped with the the citizen scientists. Yeah, yeah. So, so we've sort of fully analysed the first data release that we we did that finished taking data last year sometime, and we published the paper early this year. And in that, we talk about the amazing things that volunteers found. And one of the sort of key things that we saw was that humans find things that our sort of traditional methods, sort of statistical methods that we might have used before. The citizen scientists find things that the traditional methods wouldn't have. And that's kind of a, a real kicker for that, is that humans do this better, basically. Some of the things they found include, as I said, nearby stars to the sun. They show this sort of flaring behavior. They also found some stars further away in our galaxy that show these really interesting maser-like characteristics. So a maser is basically a laser in space. And there are certain types of stars that can produce these sort of lasers around the outside of a star in the sort of dust that surrounds it. And they were quite interesting and weird and not really something I knew a huge amount about until my volunteers found it and said, hey, this thing looks really cool. And I then had to go and, go and look it up and go, oh, what's, the, what's an OH maser? So, you know, it's a bit of a bit, bit of an interesting journey for me. Most of the things that our volunteers have found are often distant galaxies and they mostly look to be twinkling at us. That's something we see quite commonly at the rate at which we take the observations and the frequency we're looking at, 
we, we expect distant galaxies to show a sort of scintillation as the sort of light coming from them passes through our galaxy, they sort of twinkle. Um, and that's fairly common, but still interesting to see how much of that we can, we can catch with the most recent generation of, of radio telescopes. Alex, you mentioned twinkling a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, you yeah. know, and we know from, you know, the song Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And then later on, there's this whole thing, especially in Astro 1000, where we say to students, well, do stars really twinkle or do things in the night sky really twinkle? So maybe if you just explain what this twinkling means. Mm. In, in this These study, are galaxies, yeah, right? You know. For now, galaxies, now the galaxies yeah, are galaxies, twinkling too. The galaxies are now twinkling too. <laughs> yeah, so. oh, it's just twinkling everywhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great word. Yeah, so so if I was if I was wanted to be really technical, I might refer to it as refractive scintillation, but we can just stick with twinkling <laughs> really, it's much easier. So this is very much like what you see in the night sky where as the light comes to us from from stars, um, our atmosphere sort of gets in the way and causes a disturbance in the light coming from those stars. And that causes them to wobble a little bit and get a little bit brighter and a little bit fainter. So that's what we see with our eyes, that when we see the stars twinkling. But the same behavior occurs with any kind of telescope in theory. So when we use our radio telescopes and look at distant galaxies, which are so far away that they also just little points in the sky, like how stars are to our eyes. As the light shines through our galaxy, the stuff that's in our galaxy, the sort of gas and dust that is sort of um, in between all the stars, can cause this scintillation, this twinkling on these much larger scales from these things that are outside of our galaxy as the light passes through our own Milky Way. And this is mostly seen when we look towards where we know our galaxy is. You'd get less of this if you look sort of in the other direction, sort of out towards, away from, from where our, uh, our Milky Way is in the sky. The observations that I've used have mostly come from a particular survey on Meerkat, which happens to have looked at things in the Milky Way. So we see this effect quite pronounced. Uh, is this something we've seen before? I, I guess it's part of a bigger question. Like, you know, you, you're looking at various different things on different scales. You're talking from stars to distant galaxies, and all of them are, are transient. So they're all changing over time, which I guess is the thing. But what are we, you know, what are we learning in terms of the science here? Presumably, you've now dabbled with the entire range of, of astronomical phenomena. Uh, <laughs> but you know, what, yeah. what, what science are we pushing here? Yeah, it has been, has been interesting to sort of, um, you know, I'm working a lot on how to find these things and then we find these things on different scales and then I have to go on these little journeys to find, okay, I didn't know anything about, you know, flaring end dwarf <laughs> stars near us and I have to find out something about that and, and, and say something coherent about it. Yeah, the range of astrophysics that we find is, is something that really pushes this science in that, yeah, as I said, the, the near, stuff on nearby stars can be relevant for people who care about the inner workings of stars or about the planets that go around those stars. Um, you might imagine, for example, if there's a, a planet going around a star and that star flares a lot and you know, burps out a lot of energy onto that planet, that might not be great for the things if there were things <laughs> living on that planet, um, for example. So that's sort of interesting to think about. The, the twinkling stuff it isn't, isn't new by any means. We've known that, that things twinkle for a long time um, and we see it with okay. things in our galaxy. There are things in our galaxy called pulsars that we often see to, to twinkle. Um, pulsars are the dead remnants of, of large stars that show we see very easily with radio telescopes and we see them twinkle quite a lot as they spin. But yeah, we also see it with, with extragalactic things, these other galaxies that are shining to us as well. So that's not, not necessarily new, but by getting more observations of it, um, we get a better feel for how, how frequently it occurs. And when you're looking with different radio telescopes at different observing frequencies, how the scintillation might occur on different timescales, for example, or how it might be structured through the galaxy. Um, that's one thing you might be able to find. And then for the other extra galactic things, if there's things that are exploding or, or getting heated up in, in distant galaxies, then we have the potential to find 
these sort of explosions at very large distances as well. There's no definite ones of those yet found yet, but yeah, we've got lots more data to look through and hopefully this will keep growing as a project. So, so we'll always keep an eye out. Yeah, I like that you just said this will keep going for the project because, you know, I just want to know what are the future plans and future goals for the Best From Space project? How do you plan to refine the project? Are you planning on getting more observations, getting more people involved, maybe many more other telescopes involved as well? Yeah, so we definitely want to continue with the project. It's been real, real joy to do. And we've sort of seen that you know, people like doing it, which, you know, there was no guarantee that people would enjoy you know, looking at, at this stuff. So that's great to see that people, you know, care about the science that I care about. It's always nice. Yeah, so we have a second data release uh, that's currently live and that's, you know, for anyone to get involved with. Uh, and then we have more plans to do to uh, different observations in the future for a sort of third batch of data, which is actually going to be quite interesting for us because that's observations taken over several hours as opposed to many months. So that's looking for things that are changing on different timescales, things that are changing very quickly as opposed to more slowly, which might be, be very interesting for the things we could find. So that's the immediate next thing. And then further into the future, yeah, I hope we can keep doing this with more observations from Meerkat or, or other telescopes. I, I finished my PhD in about eight months. So if someone wants to employ me and, and yeah, help me to keep finding those things, then I'm, you know, I'm all up for that. Um, absolutely, yeah. It's great. I mean, thanks so much for, for your time and good luck with the, the wrapping up of your PhD. Yeah, um, before we um, before we leave you, though, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners? You know, maybe uh, just in, encouraging them, I guess, to, to take part, but anything else in terms of citizen science and how they can get involved? Yeah, I guess one of the things that I've really enjoyed about this work and I hadn't really thought about much beforehand was how rewarding the engagement aspect of it is for me and for those with whom I'm engaging. Uh, so when I've done this stuff with learners from Carnarvon or interacted with volunteers on the website, there's a sort of talk forum where they can tag researchers like myself and say if they found something they think was interesting. It's been super, super rewarding. And I hope that that people can, can get a sense that you know, this telescope and the science that's done with it are things that if you're know, people from South Africa, you know, it's in, in your country and it's this amazing telescope and it's it's yours and that you should feel very proud of this amazing work that it can do and have some sense of ownership over the amazing work that it does. And that's what I felt when I was working with the learners from Carnarvon, that they actually got a sense of, hey, this is the thing that's here and we, we can do really cool science with it, um, which I think is really, really important that there's international you know, collaborations who work on the telescope and that's amazing to have this sort of global reach but also focusing on this this thing of why well, it's here and it's built on in our our country and doing this amazing stuff in a place where science has been being done for many thousands of years i think that's sort of invaluable for for people to take away yeah and so it's been really rewarding for me to be involved in that and, and contributing a little bit to the story of, of the cool things that this, this telescope can find so if, if people want to get involved and and find some cool things out in space and learn a bit more about the amazing work that things like Meerkat can do, then that'd be great. And if they want to get involved, I'm very happy about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Alex, for your time. Actually, I've really enjoyed this this interview. By the way, it's my first interview, so... <laughs> cool. You did thanks great. for your patience with us, Alex. <laughs> no, I, 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 I said somewhat coherent. I, I never know. I sort of say things and then I forget what I've said as soon as I've said them, so I, I have no idea. <laughs> 
Yeah. No, I think it ha- it happens to all of us. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, thank you again, Alex. We really appreciate your time and, and not just for the interview, but your energy that's gone into this project. And, you know, like you say, bringing the science from Meerkat to the people who are closely linked to it. It's, it's a really special project. And um, yeah, all the best with it. Keep it up. And um, we'll, we'll try and uh, spread the news and get as many people as, as possible involved. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's been really nice to, to get involved with the SAO, SRAO, and for example, the Sherry. It's been really nice to see. Yeah, it's sort of, I started the first data release we did you know, a couple of years ago, and that was sort of just a test to see if it would work all right. And it went pretty well. But now, you know, we can, okay, this works. We can now do this at bigger scales and push it more broadly and get engagement from from places where we might not have had it. So that, that's, it's been really nice. Yeah. So thanks for, thanks for giving me the time to, to you know, waffle about my, my science <laughs> and, and stuff on here. It's been really, it's been a real honor. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, cheers. Cheers, guys. All right. Thanks again to Alex. Uh, I think a super fascinating conversation. I think that uh, he he definitely made the point of the importance of this uh, going forward. It's not just a this isn't just a fun project to engage the the public, although it is that too. But it's very important for the science, and I think he's shown with the enthusiasm he has for it and the energy he's thrown into it how important this is and and how powerful it's going to be. I think going forward. And I think it's also shown that anyone can actually be part of this project. You know, you do not have to have previous knowledge of other things because through this, you you can be able to learn even more things. Any people from any age can also be part of this. Um, as has mentioned that, you know, in, in the workshop that they hosted, there were people from everywhere. So if you're sitting there at home, think about how can I be part of this Meerkat and this SKA that people continue to talk about. So I think this is also an opportunity for our listeners and for us, Daniel, maybe. <laughs> With all our spare time. <laughs> Wherever we take it. <laughs> Yes, go on. Um, for us to think about uh, contributing to, to this project. And the other thing that's really important is the fact that uh, Meerkat is actually hosted here in South Africa as the precursor to the SKA, as we've previously mentioned in our in our other episodes. So this is a lot of data that has been coming in through Meerkat. And obviously, this is data coming from our own telescope. And I think that's why it's important for us as people in South Africa, in Africa, to be part of the science and just own it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very cool. Um, I, I love these projects, and I think that you know having African data on it now, you know, puts us on the global stage because there's a lot of people on Zooniverse. And then I think the other thing to note is just that this is just one project. You know, uh, we mm. mentioned at the beginning that there there are many other things on Zooniverse, and there will be many more coming. So, Meerkat has been running for five years. The SKA is coming online in the next five years. There are going to be more and more projects, more and more science questions. There's not just transients. There's a lot going on. A lot on. going on. A lot more things that we'll be able to see that we've never seen before. For sure. And I mean, we're going to need we're going to need as much input. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah, we're going to need we're going to need as much help and, and input as we can get. There, there isn't actually a, a situation where I, I think that we're not going to need people to look at yeah. this data. Um, we can automate it till the cows come home, but it's not gonna it's not gonna be enough. We're still gonna need a lot of help. So I think this is this is a wonderful opportunity. 
yeah, it's a great opportunity for you to hop on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our listeners, to hop on. <laughs> Just um, go into Zoo Universe. Um, it is pronounced zoo as in the zoo. And Nivis without the U. <laughs> so Zunivis. <laughs> Zunivis.org. Um, Google it. Um, but we also post the link obviously on our on our website on the blog. Uh, and you can link through there and, and link through to Alex's project and contribute. Yeah, looking forward to all your contributions. One last thing before we go. Yeah. Tia, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> you good? I'm good. Um Yeah, I'm good. I, I had to think about it for a bit, but I think I'm good. How are you? Um, good. I'm just coming out of a cold. Again, I feel like I'm sick all the time. But yeah, coming out of a cold, maybe you can hear that in my voice. Feeling quite busy, me- meeting into meeting into meeting. But otherwise, good. Spring's coming, which I'm quite excited about. After this week's rains. Yeah, we don't talk about that. It's Cape Town. Spring <laughs> only comes in November. <laughs> we love it here. Come to Cape yeah. Town. No, don't. <laughs> and do you have anything planned in the next couple of weeks? No, not so much. Plenty of work. The General Assembly 2024 stuff is taking more and more of my time, but it's getting exciting now. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, we, we, you know, starting to get bookings and things coming through. Uh, it's all getting very real. Registration's opening. <laughs> not yet, but soon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't jump the boat. <laughs> what? What? Jump the cute one? <laughs> I've, I've messed up my idioms here. All right. <laughs> that really is it for today. <laughs> <laughs> that is it for today. Yeah. Thanks very much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next episode of The Cosmic Savannah. You can visit our website, thecosmicsavannah.com, where we'll have stuff related to today's episode, the transcript, links, and pictures. You can follow us on X, Facebook, and Instagram at Cosmic Savannah, and that's Savannah, spelled S-A-V-A-N-N-A-H. You can also find us on YouTube, where audio-only episodes are uploaded with closed captions, which can be auto-translated into many different languages, including Afrikaans, Isit Kosa and Isizulu. A special thanks today to Alex Anderson for speaking with us. Thanks as always to our social media manager, Sumari Hatting, and our audio editor, Jacob Fahn. Also to Mark Allnut for music production, Michal Wurczyk for photography, Carl Jones for astrophotography, Susie Karras for graphic design. Thanks also to Francois Kampfer for assistance with the blog, and to Emile Mainkies, Moses Makungu, and Abigail Chenet for transcription. We gratefully acknowledge support from the South African National Research Foundation, the South African Agency for Science and Technology Advancement, the South African Astronomical Observatory, and the University of Cape Town Astronomy Department. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And we'd really appreciate it if you could rate and review us and recommend us to a friend. We'll speak to you next time on the Cosmic Savannah. I'll say that's probably but, enough, and then we can go into. But what, the... what's what's special about them joining this one? Because it's us. It's exactly. Africa. So we need to sell that. Okay. <laughs> that's that's on you. Who's bringing us up? Me or you? You are. Okay. Wait.